MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. Today, Mark Meadows used his private Gmail account to pressure Georgia officials to overturn the 2020 election results. The RNC is paying some of Trump's legal fees, personal legal fees. A jury finds that Unite the Right Charlottesville defendants are liable for more than $26 million in damages. A federal judge has ordered two Colorado attorneys who filed suit to overturn the election results pay $187,000 in legal fees. A man has been charged with carrying a loaded firearm to the Capitol January 6th. Kevin Strickland is released after 43 years in prison, and the Select Committee on the Insurrection has issued more subpoenas. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Holy majoli, the news is ridiculous. I mean, what a bad day for Nazis and other white supremacists, and I am here for it. I am here for it, too. I think they're trying to squeeze in every possible breaking news story in the world. Let me just check one more time. To make sure nothing has happened before we start talking. (laughs) Since we're recording a little early today, let me check my news feed here. The Wire. Nope. The last thing I've got is the subpoenas. All right, cool. Perfect. All right, let's uh, get into this. Just want to say a little bit later in the show, we're going to have Frank Faglusi on to talk about season three of The Bureau, where he has guests like Rachel Vinman, Andy McCabe, Scott McFarlane, Chuck Rosenberg, uh, Jeff Stein of MSW Media's own Spy Talk podcast. That's one of our newest additions, one of our newest partners to MSW Media. And man, season three is going to be awesome. We're also going to talk a little bit about the January 6th committee and the subpoenas and where the investigation is going, both criminally and congressionally. So it's a good discussion. Very nice. Hey, I'm really proud of you, my friend. You started this network not too long ago, and it has blossomed and continues to grow at a rapid pace. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. It's, It's all about, for me, the community, right? We all have like-minded audiences. A lot of uh, the audience overlaps for a lot of these shows. And I just wanted to get everybody together, get everybody together so we can win elections and and do things, you know, be proactive in our communities. And this, you know, the Leguminati, just seriously, one of the best communities I've ever been a part of. So I love it. I love it. All right. With that, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. No segue today. We're just going to go right into it. First up, from uh, ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl, he explained why the Gmail account of Donald Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, may provide critical evidence for the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol. During an appearance on CNN, Jonathan Carl explained his interest in Meadows to anchor John Berman, saying part of the backstory behind Trump's notorious phone call pressuring Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find 11,780 votes. Meadows reportedly voiced frustration when he finally connected on the phone to a Raffensperger deputy. Quote, we've been trying to reach out to you 18 different times and you've ignored our inquiries. He complained. He said with a chagrin. Initially, Raffensperger's office was mystified, but then eventually they figured out what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, Raffensperger himself had been receiving text messages from a Gmail account, Mark Meadows' Gmail account, that he thought was certainly a prank. You know, his number had been put out on the Internet. He'd been getting all kinds of prank calls. So Meadows was reaching out to a top official in Georgia on a private Gmail account. Interesting. He's not a very smart man. Not a smart man. And 18 times, that really feels like harassment. Like, you know what I mean? 18 (laughs) times. All right. More good news for the good guys and, and more bad news for the bad guys. A federal judge has ordered two Colorado lawyers who filed a lawsuit late last year challenging the 2020 election results to pay nearly $187,000 to defray the legal fees of groups they sued, arguing that the hefty penalty was proper to deter others from using frivolous suits to undermine the democratic system. And a quote as officers of the court, these attorneys have a higher duty and a calling that requires meaningful investigation before prematurely repeating in court pleadings, unverified and uninvestigated defamatory rumors, sorry, it makes me giggle, (laughs) that strike at the heart of our democratic system and were used by others 
to foment a violent insurrection that threatened our system of government. Now, that was from Magistrate Judge N. Reed Narady. How do you feel about that one? Narrator? 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 I like Narrator. Narrator. All right. And another quote, they are experienced lawyers who should have known better. They need to take responsibility for misconduct. Now, the two lawyers, Gary D. Felder and Ernest John Walker, filed the case in December 2020 as a class action on behalf of 163 million American voters, <laughs> alleging there was the, I'm sure many of those voters had no idea this was happening, alleging there was a complicated plot to steal the election from President Donald Trump and give the victory to Joe Biden. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. The two argued that a scheme was engineered by the voting machine vendor, Dominion Voting Systems, the tech company, Facebook, its founders, Mark Zuckerberg, and his wife, Priscilla Chan and elected officials in four states. They sought $160 billion, with a B, dollars in damages. Mm. Now, their case was dismissed in April. I can't understand why. Mm. Now, in August, <laughs> Nuritor, I think Nuritor works, yeah. ruled yeah. that the attorneys had violated their ethical obligations by filing it in the first place, arguing that the duo, <laughs> the duo, <laughs> had run afoul of legal rules that prohibit clogging the courts with frivolous motions and lodging information in court that is just, it's not true. Now, at the time, he called their suit the stuff of which violent insurrections are made. That's a very serious statement. So, alleging they made little effort to determine the truth of their conspiratorial claims before filing them in court, he ordered them to pay the legal fees of all, all of the many entities that they had sued. What a beautiful thing. (laughs) (laughs) $187,000. Next up, an Indiana man charged with carrying a loaded firearm to the Capitol on January 6th told investigators that had he found Speaker Nancy Pelosi, quote, you'd be here for another reason. Mark Mazza, 56, is the latest of about half a dozen January 6th defendants charged with bringing a gun into the Capitol. Half a dozen. In this case, Mazza allegedly carried a Taurus revolver known as the Judge which is capable of firing shotgun shells, two of which were in the chamber, along with three hollow point bullets. Jesus. A Capitol Police sergeant obtained the weapon after allegedly fending off an assault from Maza. So good job to that Capitol Police sergeant. Quote, I thought Nan and I would hit it off, Maza told investigators as they prepared to finish their interview. Nan being Nancy. Quote, I was glad I didn't because you'd be here for another reason. And I told my kids that if they show up, I'm surrendering. Nope, they can have me because I may go down a hero. Hmm. I mean, gee, I mean, to say, like, at this point, he's not even trying to say, that's not what I was doing. Like, this guy is still holding to the fact that he was going to shoot her. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And he told his kids. Okay. The reports of rioters charged with carrying firearms have been limited. The number has been steadily climbing. A former DEA agent brandished his service weapon outside the Capitol. A Texas man was charged with bringing a handgun. Leaders of the Oath Keepers were charged with conspiring to prevent Congress from certifying the 2020 election. Aren't facing firearms charges, but prosecutors have pieced together evidence that suggested they kept a stockpile of weapons at a hotel in nearby Arlington, Virginia. That's where they were going to ferry them across the Potomac or whatever. And the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol invasion said Tuesday it issued subpoenas to the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, two far-right organizations whose members were involved in the January 6th attack. The committee also subpoenaed Proud Boys leader Henry Enrique Tario and Oath Keepers president Elmer Stewart Rhodes, along with First Amendment Praetorian, another organization involved with the lead up to January 6th. So Enrique Tario, who's been trying desperately to get out of prison because it hurts his fee-fees, might be able to get out for a day to testify to the January 6th committee. (laughs) The latest batch of subpoenas follows dozens of other requests from the House Committee for documents and testimony from witnesses believed to have tangible connections to January 6th and the events that precipitated it. Quote, we believe the individuals and organizations we subpoenaed today have relevant information about how violence erupted at the Capitol and the preparation leading up to this violent attack. I mean, it is unraveling fast, and I'd love to see this. This is ramping up, so not. I would not be surprised if we get more. I, I just, th- there's a lot going on, so I hope everyone is following this. Now, the other thing that's very funny to me is that apparently the former guy doesn't have any money to pay his legal bills, but the Republican National Committee apparently does because they've been paying some of the former guy's legal bills using donor funds to help him pay an attorney representing him in a New York investigation into his company's business practices. That's according to a campaign finance filing and a party spokeswoman. 
So this is not made up. They're helping him pay his legal fees because of his company's business practices, which is just fucking hilarious. Now, the RNC made two payments, totaling $121,670 to Fischetti and Malgiri LLP in October. The committee's recently filed report with the Federal Elections Committee. That's what it showed. Now, Ronald Fischetti, a partner in the firm and a criminal defense attorney, is representing Trump in a criminal investigation into the Trump Organization's business practices. Listen, I, why does everyone sound like the mob who's working with this guy? How you doing, Ronald Fischetti? I'm right. Now, Fischetti, Malgiri. not... Malgiri. How you doing? Malgiri. Linguini. <laughs> Linguini. Now, Fischetti did not immediately respond to CNN's request for comment, <laughs> uh, but the former guy's aides also did not immediately respond. All right. And I just want to let everybody know, I was quoting my blue heaven right there. <laughs> I do understand, as Steve Martin says in that movie that, you know, everyone that's Italian is connected to the mob is a vicious stereotype. Yes, indeed. And I agree. Spokeswoman, thank you for covering our asses. A spokeswoman for the RNC said in a statement that it's, quote, executive committee approved paying for certain legal expenses that relate to politically motivated legal proceedings waged against President Trump. Another quote is a leader of our party defending President Trump and his record of achievement is critical to the GOP. That's what she added. Oh, yes. Oh. All of his achievements. It's entirely appropriate for the RNC to continue assisting and fighting back against the Democrats' never-ending witch hunt and attacks on him. Also, uh, the law. <laughs> the de- <laughs> also known as the, the law. law. <laughs> the Democratic National Committee swiftly seized on the statement, saying in its own that the RNC said it best, Donald Trump leads the Republican Party. Now, another quote, Rona McDaniel and the Republican National Committee are using their donors' money to finance Trump's personal legal defense while he sits on hundreds of millions of his own money, as well as campaign funds. Now, that spokesperson, Adonna Beal, said in a statement, went on to say, this is today's GOP, a party that will do anything for a divisive and incompetent ex-president who cost their party the House, the Senate, and the White House, and thousands of Americans their lives and livelihoods. If we were the RNC's donors, we would certainly be asking questions. A fischetti, yeah. Uh, well, tell you what, we're going to have Frank Figluzzi a little bit later on in the show to discuss what's going on with the January 6th committee and uh, season three of the Bureau. But uh, I've got some more news coming up after this, including what the jury came back with in the Unite the Right rally, which is uh, uh, good news. And also we're going to talk about the long overdue exoneration of kevin Strickland. absolutely so stick around yeah amazing amazing story just such a such a horrible miscarriage of justice and so many years of a life wasted but we'll talk about that right after this stick around after these messages we'll be right back hey everybody it's ag and today's episode of the beans is brought to you by monk pack if you're looking for a healthy snack that's actually delicious and satisfying i really recommend monk pack keto granola bars They taste amazing. They contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, non-GMO, with no soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols, and no high-intensity sweeteners. And you don't have to be keto to love these. I'm paleo. I've just been trying to eat better, but they are keto-friendly. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have helped me because they're great, they're healthy, they're delicious, and they're filling. They stop the cravings. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter and blueberry almond vanilla. My favorite right now is the peanut butter. It changes daily and I love the peanut butter right now. It's chewy, it's soft, it's delicious and no high intensity sweeteners or weird aftertaste or textures. So try it for yourself and you'll see. And we have a special deal for listeners. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code dailybeans, all one word at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product. It has 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, then enter code DAILYBEANS at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by QB. Consider how many hours we spend sitting at our desks or watching TV. But what if you could turn those otherwise inactive times into opportunities to burn calories and get fit? Keep your joints active. That's exactly what you get with QB. That's C-U-B-I-I. It's a compact elliptical unit that fits under your desk so you can pedal while you're sitting there. In fact, I'm using it right now. You can't even hear it because it's whisper quiet. It's super easy on your joints. 
And in a recent clinical study, it shows that it helps burn 84% more energy than just sitting there. We all say, I would work out more if I had more time. Well, QB makes it easy to burn calories and stay active anytime and virtually anywhere. In fact, I set my QB up in front of the couch too to burn some calories while I'm watching TV. QB is perfect for anyone who has a parent or loved one who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy and active. QB would be the perfect gift this holiday season. I love my QB and I know you will too. Take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial. Turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy with QB. Visit QB.com slash beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. So the jury in the civil case involving white nationalists, the ones who led the Unite the Right rally that turned violent in Charlottesville in Virginia in 2017, has awarded more than $26 million in damages to nine plaintiffs after finding organizers and participants liable on state conspiracy claims and other counts. The violence turned the Virginia city into another battleground in America's culture war, and it highlighted growing polarization in the nation. It was also an event that empowered white supremacists and white nationalists to demonstrate their beliefs in public rather than just online. It was also one of the motivating factors to get Joe Biden in the presidential race. The jury said Tuesday it could not reach a verdict on two federal conspiracy claims, but it reached verdicts on the other claims. The first federal conspiracy claim was the most prominent one against the defendants. It alleged the defendants conspired to commit racially motivated violence, while the second one alleged the defendants had knowledge of a conspiracy but failed to prevent it. Quote, we are thrilled the jury has delivered a verdict in favor of our plaintiffs, finally giving them justice, the justice they deserve after the horrific weekend of violence and intimidation in August of 2017. That was plaintiff's attorney, Roberta Kaplan and also Karen Dunn. Today's verdict sends a loud and clear message that facts matter, the law matters, and that the laws of this country will not tolerate the use of violence to deprive racial and religious minorities of the basic right we all share to live as free and equal citizens. One defense attorney called it a win. It's a politically charged situation. Quote, it's going to be hard to get 11 people to agree, said attorney Joshua Smith, who represented three defendants. I consider a hung jury to be a win, considering a disparity of resources. The events surrounding August 11 and 12 in 2017 saw white nationalists and white supremacists marching through Charlottesville in the University of Virginia campus shouting, Jews will not replace us, you will not replace us, and blood and soil, a phrase evoking Nazi philosophies on ethnic identity. The violence, which enveloped the rally to protest the planned removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, reached a crescendo when Fields, who was protesting the statue's removal, sped his car through a crowd of counter-protesters injuring dozens and killing. 32-year-old Heather Heyer. Some of the most prominent figures of the alt-right, Jason Kessler, Matthew Heimbach, Richard Spencer, and Christopher Cantwell, were among the defendants. In a civil trial, plaintiffs' attorneys have to show the defendant is liable by a preponderance of the evidence, which means 50.1% or greater, chance that the claim is true. And the jury awarded the plaintiffs $11 million in punitive damages on a Virginia conspiracy claim. Each defendant is liable for five hundred grand apiece. Five organizations are liable for $1 million each. The jury only awarded $7 to the plaintiffs in compensatory damages. In general, compensatory damages compensate or make whole the injured party for the loss or injury. Punitive damages are considered punishment when the defendant's behavior is found to be particularly harmful. For claim four, defendants Kessler, Spencer, Cantwell, and Elliot Klein and Robert Asmador Ray were found liable for punitive damages each of $200,000. Plaintiffs Natalie Romero and Devin Willis were awarded each $250,000 in compensatory damages. And in the same claim, the jury also found James Alex Fields Jr. liable, but did not award any damages. It also found Fields liable for $12 million in punitive damages total for claims five and six. Jurors awarded $803,277 in compensatory damages to five plaintiffs for the assault or battery claim. Fields, who was serving multiple life sentences in prison, did not testify in the trial, but was represented by an attorney. A few criminal cases resulted from the events surrounding the rally, including state and federal convictions of Fields, who is serving multiple life sentences for killing Heather Heyer. But there were no large-scale trials of organizers from the Justice Department under the Trump or Biden administrations. The civil lawsuit in federal court sought to impose consequences on those who planned the rally and Fields for the people he injured or traumatized when he ran his Dodge Challenger through the crowd. But even before the trial, the plaintiffs had won in some ways due to the nation's outrage over the violence. Richard Spencer stopped his public speaking tour. He called the case financially crippling. Jeff Shep and Heimbach renounced white supremacy and stopped organizing white power activities in public. Shep gave the group he led for more than two decades, the National Socialist Movement, to a black civil rights activist who died shortly thereafter. 
Identity Europa, one of the groups named in the suit, rebranded under a new name twice before disbanding. And 14 people and 10 white supremacists and nationalist organizations were named in the lawsuit that prompted the trial. But a few were not involved in the verdicts because they didn't show up for court and they were the subjects of default judgments. In closing arguments last week, attorneys representing the plaintiffs told the jury that the defendants were prepared for the Battle of Charlottesville, quote unquote, and messages sent between them and their actions after the violence were proof of a conspiracy. Defense attorneys and two high-profile defendants who were representing themselves countered that none of the plaintiffs had proven the defendants had organized racial violence. And after 43 years in prison, Kevin Strickland is a free man. After hearings earlier this month, Judge James Welsh, a retired Missouri Court of Appeals judge, had decided to set aside Strickland's conviction in time for Thanksgiving. Strickland had spent the last 43 years in prison for a triple murder, Prosecutor Jean Peters Baker said Strickland, 62, was wrongly convicted of in 1979. He has maintained his innocence since the conviction that he wasn't anywhere near the crime scene. A woman who was wounded in the gunfire recanted her story, placing Strickland at the scene. For years, she told people Strickland wasn't there. She died recently, making it impossible for her to testify at a hearing. Fingerprint evidence also suggests he wasn't at the crime scene. Jackson County prosecutor exercised a new Missouri law allowing them to review past cases in which they believe someone was wrongly convicted of a crime. However, the Missouri Attorney General's office argued that Strickland was one of the killers and should remain in prison. In a statement on Twitter, Missouri Governor Mike Parson said, Earlier this year, I signed SB 53, which created a judicial procedure for prosecuting attorneys to use in cases like this one, where the prosecutor believes that there was a miscarriage of justice and a wrongful conviction was entered. The court has made its decision with respect to that decision and the Department of Corrections will proceed with Mr. Strickland's release immediately. Judge Wells said in his opinion, issued Tuesday, that Strickland's conviction should immediately be set aside and Strickland should be immediately released from custody. In his opinion, Wells said the court's confidence in Strickland's conviction is so undermined it cannot stand. Welsh noted that no physical evidence implicated Strickland in the homicide and that he was convicted solely on the testimony of an eyewitness who later recanted her testimony. A spokesman for the Missouri Attorney General's office said, In this case, we defended the rule of law and the decision that a jury of Mr. Strickland's peers made after hearing all the facts in the case. The court has spoken. No further action will be taken in this matter. The Jackson County Missouri Prosecutor's Office officially filed a notice of dismissal, dismissing all criminal counts against Strickland at 11.50 a.m. this morning. To say we're extremely pleased and grateful is an understatement. That was Baker. This brings justice, finally, to a man who has tragically suffered so, so greatly as a result of this wrongful conviction. The Midwest Innocence Project has set up a GoFundMe page to support Strickland following his release. The fundraiser has already surpassed its initial goal of $40,000. Strickland is set to be released today at 1.30 p.m. All right, we'll be right back with the host of the Bureau, Frank Fogluzzi. Stay with us. Happy holidays, ladies. It's AG, and this portion of the show is brought to you by Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped just launched a new product that your man will actually use, including their new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give the man in your life the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com, use code DAILYBEANS for 20% off and free shipping. Some people don't realize they need to manscape, but, you know, sometimes you do. Uh, You get a little busy, you forget what's going on, you need to manscape. But now they have, Manscaped has the performance package. It includes the signature lawnmower, which is an electric trimmer. It's it's called the Lawnmower 4.0, and it's got a proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, which is amazing. It's waterproof, so we can use it in the shower. It includes a crop preserver and crop reviver and an anti-chafing deodorant, moisturizer, and toner. Their hygiene bundle also comes with a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers that'll keep everything fresh and clean all day. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products. So get your man, your dad, your brother, your friends, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code DAILYBEANS. Get your man the gift you'll both enjoy, the gift of Manscaped. And today's show is also brought to you by Lettuce Grow, an at-home gardening thing that's been taking off the last few years. You've seen it all over the socials. People want to be closer to food. They want the best for themselves and their family. Plus, it's fun and rewarding to grow your own fruits and veggies. Lettuce Grow is here to help with a hydroponic garden that can help you easily grow fruits and vegetables at your home, outdoors or indoors. No green thumb required. You've seen the Lettuce Grow farm stand all over social media. It's a self-watering, self-fertilizing hydroponic unit, and it allows you to grow your own farm fresh produce at home. They have over 200 varieties of fruits and veggies, including edible flowers, tomatoes, strawberries, and even eggplant. With only five minutes of maintenance each week, it can grow up to 36 plants at one time. 
You get pre-grown seedlings, which are all non-GMO. They've never been exposed to chemicals or additives, and they're ready to harvest in just four to six weeks. And the whole thing uses 95% less water than traditional gardening, and there's no waste. And it only takes up four square feet, indoors or out. It's made of food-grade, environmentally friendly materials. And for every 10 sold, they'll donate one to a school or nonprofit organization. So go to lettucegrow.com slash beans and shop the farm stand and be sure to use promo code beans at checkout and you'll get $50 off the farm stand. $50 off. There's a 90-day guarantee and there's a less than 1% return rate. So they're amazing. That's $50 off the farm stand at lettucegrow, L-E-T-T-U-C-E, grow.com slash beans. And thanks to Lettuce Grow for supporting the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by the host of the Bureau podcast, uh, former assistant director for counterintelligence at the FBI, Frank Figluzzi. Hey, Frank, how's it going today? Busy as usual. Lots to talk about. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I wanted to open up. I want to talk about season three of the Bureau because it looks really amazing. But while I have you, I want to talk a little bit about what Dr. Timothy Snyder refers to in chapter two of his book on tyranny, Defending Institutions. You come from an institution. I spent many years at an institution and, you know, we don't really need to get in the definition of an institution. However, I've seen a lot of accounts going out of their way to blanket rage tweet against the January 6th committee, the Department of Justice uh, for, for not seeing what's going on behind the scenes or not knowing or not being told what's going on behind the scenes. I've been fervently trying to push back on this, you know, uh, because of yeah. this de- Department of Justice policy and and, uh, you know, protecting sort of the testimony behind closed doors that January 6th committee is doing. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on this, seeing kind of these these attacks on our institutions from the left growing louder. Yeah, I, I like you and I I'm an institutionalist because I believe, quite frankly, that our nation's values are wrapped up in those institutions. People don't like to hear that. But it's true. And the the rank and file men and women who come to work every day staffing those institutions, that's where it's at. So I I don't take take it well when I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, when you start losing your faith and eroding the credibility of institutions and attacking the people in those institutions. Now, believe me, I'll criticize, as you know, I'll criticize anybody anywhere. But, you know, and I boy, I I've done it in a piece that's out this week talking about the revelations regarding Malcolm X's assassination and the role of FBI, NYPD, et cetera. We got to do that. That's healthy. But, you know, I've seen you really skillfully push back on your social media uh, account or your Twitter specifically is where I watch you tell people, calm down, calm down. This takes time to get it right. And if we want to live in a society where speed is what it's all about, then remember that haste makes waste and you're essentially putting yourself in the same plane as the former guy who didn't give a darn about the process, the protocol, the system. And, and you know, I'm quick to point out to people who are impatient and boy, do we live in an instant gratification society, right? I want everybody arrested right now, right? And I, I, I see this all over the place. And I tell people, do you know we're, we're close to 700 people arrested in the January 6th? Do you know what that means from an institutional level? Do you know they're bringing prosecutors in from Puerto Rico and Las Vegas and public defenders from the, from the Northwest? Do you know that that's happening? Do you understand every field office and probably half of every FBI field office is stopped what they're doing to do this? Do you not get that? Well, they haven't arrested the upper echelon yet. No, they have not. And this is how this is supposed to work. And boy, have we forgotten, apparently, how soon we forget, that Attorney General Merrick Garland, who people are just right to criticize with, criticize, should be uh, awarded a medal for quietly convening through the Washington, uh, D.C. State, uh, United States Attorney's Office, a grand jury that quietly indicted Steve Bannon for, for uh, contempt of Congress. Do you know that's a monumental task in this day and age for there to be no leak, not out of the clerk's office and in the D.C. you know, court, not from a grand juror, not from a prosecutor's staff, not from DOJ custodian who saw the paper, nothing. Mm-hmm. And people are like, that's not fast enough, not fast enough. Calm right. down, calm down. Yeah, and I'm afraid what this is going to lead to is when justice is served, however it is served, which I am convinced it will be. It just might take time. 
that people are just going to not be satisfied with it because it either didn't happen quickly enough, didn't happen loudly enough. There weren't handcuffs. There wasn't a takedown. There wasn't a perp walk. Right. I think this kind of rhetoric is setting setting the entirety of the justice system, particularly federal justice system, up for failure here. But yeah, when they talk about I've, I've seen big accounts, blue check marks talk about, you know, the one six committee. They haven't done anything with Meadows. They haven't done anything with Meadows. Why aren't they doing anything with Meadows? I'm like, it's they're they're these are the greatest legal minds in our country working on this, and they are working on this. It's not like they're sitting around, you know, smoking weed, not doing anything. It, it, you know, they are doing things. You just don't know what they are, and you aren't supposed to know what they are. And well, I, I, I ask people, how do you know? How do you know they're not doing anything? Right. Did you know that they were they had banned at grand jury before anybody thought about it? Did you know that? No, you did not. So now are we right to be concerned about, you know, uh, uh, justice denied, justice delayed is justice denied? Yes, I get that. Are we right to be concerned that the select committee will likely be disbanded if if control of the House switches to the GOP in the midterms and then go, you know, goes away, vaporizes? You're darn right. We should be concerned about it. But are things moving? Oh, oh yeah. And even as we speak. You know, we've gotten news that this, the committee has subpoenaed um, as organizations and as leadership individuals, Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. Wow. Oh, OK. Yeah, th- this gets we're, we're getting closer and closer to the to the root of domestic terror and its linkage to January 6th. Yeah. And the committee does know a lot more than we do. And that's by design. They do these depositions behind closed doors, either to protect future potential criminal investigations or to, you know, they did this in the impeachment. You depose them, then you, you bring your witnesses out once you we have all the information and you know which questions you want to ask. And, you know, I, like you said, I also have criticized uh, the Department of Justice on, you know, where's the indictments for obstruction of justice and the vo- volume two of the Mueller report. I've criticized the FBI and the Nasser case. And when I have constructive pushback criticism on specific things that these institutions do, that is important to democracy, but whole cloth dismissing the entirety of the institution and calling it a fraud and, you know, that it's corrupt, you know, when you have no evidence is, is a whole other thing. And I'm, it's, it's, it's tough. Well, yeah. You have, you have evidence to the contrary, quite, quite frankly, there's evidence to the contrary. And yes, like you, I, I wrote a whole column on it for MSNBC daily about Larry Nasser, USA gymnastics and, and the FBI. And, you know, two, two of the things we just talked about are, are going to be featured prominently in season three of the Bureau podcast that's coming up Tuesday, November 30th. We're going to be, you know, can I now shamelessly talk about the podcast? I was going to say, excellent segue, because you you tweeted out earlier today, some of the upcoming guests you have in season three, it's absolutely amazing. These are like some of the, you know, top people that we, you know, we had in our sexy justice calendar back in the day. Like these are, these are really, really great guests. Talk about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the name and, and the listeners know the name of the podcast is The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. And I think, and, and we should talk offline about this, I, I may change the name to The Bureau and Beyond because we're going to go beyond. It's always going to be tied back to it, the institution, law enforcement, national security, intelligence threats. Absolutely. Lots of bureau involvement and, and continued likely uh, active duty FBI guests. However, comma, it's time to take this to another level, because as, as we just talked about, institution, institutional credibility being eroded on, on both sides, credibility. Let, let's get more people in and talk about this. So guest number one, Tuesday, November 30th, Scott McFarland. Boy, would he have made, if he didn't turn out to be a superstar investigative reporter, journalist, he would have made an awesome FBI agent. Why do we have him on? He, he has encyclopedic knowledge in his coverage of the January 6th investigation. He, he really is like a supercomputer when it comes to, you know, throw throw a defendant's name at him. How many Oath Keepers have been indicted? How many Proud Boys have been arrested, right? And, and we go behind that data and we ask this guy who has read every single charging document, what, help us, take us behind the scenes. Tell us from reading the charging documents and the, listening to the prosecutors in court, What's going on here? Where is this going? And, you know, he talks about the evidence in, in, in these cases of FBI surveillance operations on these people. You know, this is 24-7 for the FBI. Drone surveillance, cell phone. We're talking, we talk about cell phone triangulation, possible geofencing, 
I mean, if you name the investigative technique, he's seeing it deployed and, and manifested in these charging documents and the role of crowdsourcing, of crime solving with the public in this. So we're going to go deep, not only on, you know, yes, we're approaching 700 people arrested, but no, what is he seeing for the future? What are the things we should be worried about happening? What I uncovered in this episode is that we are stretching to the max that D.C. court system and that jail. I mean, to the max. And we're running, A.G., we're running into a, a, an issue where don't be surprised. We're already seeing it where it's going to undermine cases because the defendants are saying, I, I'm in abysmal conditions. I can't get access to my lawyer. I can't get a covid shot. I can't get a shower, a haircut or nothing. And you can't keep holding me like this. And so when they start to when defendants start to not waive the Speedy Trial Act, like, hey, I want to be. And if they start saying I want to be tried right now, there's one guy that Scott tells us about. He's saying, I, I want to be tried right now. I'm, I'll be my own. I'll be my own lawyer. I don't I don't care about getting effective representation of counsel. I'll do it myself. Get me to court right now. And the judge is saying, uh, we aren't ready for you yet, right? Mountains of digital data to process in this case forensically. No, I want to go right now. If they all start doing that, we got a problem. Yeah, and I think they know that. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that discussion too, because I know that you guys talk about where it looks like this is going. Like maybe perhaps what everybody's been waiting for. Like, are we going to get to the the Stones and the Jones and the and up even higher to the Willard and the, you know, et cetera. You know, he reminds us that there appears to be a boilerplate template questionnaire that the FBI agents are using when they do interviews of these of these defendants. And what's one of those questions which he found on an FD 302 uh, FBI interview report? Oh, I think, can I guess? Yeah. Uh, have you have you coordinated with any members of Congress? Yeah. Do you know any congressional members, any staffers? Yeah. That. And by the way, he doesn't think that FD 302 should ever have seen the light of day. It was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. But what that tells me from my FBI experience is some some group of senior intelligence analysts have created a list of questions for all agents to ask. They're asking that question. They asked it specifically of an Oath Keeper defendant. So, yes. Are they looking at members of Congress? You, I, I'm convinced of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And they're also looking at seditious conspiracy. We know from that Oath Keeper lawyer's phone warrant. I mean, lots of stuff that shouldn't have gotten out that's gotten out. But I am also convinced that the, you know, what everyone's been waiting for is the Department of Justice investigating criminally the leaders of this insurrection. And my answer is yes, they're just they're on a ladder up to it. It's just going to take a minute. Unfortunately, it's going to take a minute. (laughs) I know time is of the essence here. And also, I noticed some of uh, some of your other guests here. We've got Rachel Vindman. We've got Chuck Rosenberg. Incredible. Uh, Former SDNY U.S. attorney or. Oh, gosh, this guy could this guy should write a book. He. For, so, so former former uh, chief of staff to Robert Mueller at the FBI, mm-hmm. former United States attorney in Virginia and other places. For, how about this? How about this? Former administrator of the DEA. How yeah. about that? Yeah. Right. And really not get not out there a lot doing interviews. No. Not so. I I am I am privileged that he's agreed to do this. We're going to get deep into his personal journey. A real fascinating story of why he left the DEA administrator role mm. on, under uh, Trump. Ethical integrity. That story is going to get told. And uh, boy, Andy McCabe's going is, is a guest. Andy's going to man. Andy and I go deep, deep into the, the victory he's had recently in court to get his pension back, his back pay back. He says things that he says his lawyer will probably hit him in the head for saying. He says it on our episode of the Bureau. Well, awesome. Everybody will have to tune in. Thanks so much for your time today, Frank. And uh, I hope you have a good holiday this weekend. You too. Happy Thanksgiving. Take care. You as well. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's Allison. I'm sure we've all tried fad weight loss gimmicks that don't work. One time I went on a month-long wine cleanse. Mm, It was fun, but didn't lose any weight. Some might call it a bender, actually. Anyway, it didn't help. And that's why I'm happy to introduce our new sponsor today. It's called Calibrate. It's not a diet or a quick fix product. It's a year-long commitment that gives you the tools to fight your own weird biologies. Traditional diets don't work because you can't fight your biology with willpower. Calibrate's different, though. It's a comprehensive, doctor-guided, metabolic reset that promotes sustainable results through lifestyle changes. Calibrate is a fully integrated program 
uh, combining classes and one-on-one video coaching, in-app tracking, and a community of members like you, plus medical care, including a video doctor visit. Calibrate works because they combine doctor-prescribed, FDA-approved medication paired with lifestyle changes to improve metabolic health. Over 20 years of research shows that the combination of GLP-1 and coaching can improve metabolic health and drive long-term sustained weight loss. Calibrate's earliest members lost an average of 14% of their body weight, exceeding the 10% average weight loss results seen in clinical trials. Your weight doesn't reflect your willpower. Get back in control with Calibrate. Get $50 off one year, the metabolic reset, when you use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at joincalibrate.com. That's $50 off when you use code DAILYBEANS at joincalibrate.com. And today's show is also brought to you by AG. Not me, but Athletic Greens. That's the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition easy. So stress, poor sleep, hectic schedule, I'm an intermittent faster, all of that can make it difficult to maintain nutritional habits and provide our bodies with the nutrients they need. AG1 by Athletic Greens is the category-leading superfood product that brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everyone. Just one tasty scoop of AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, a probiotic, Greens superfood blend, and more, all in one convenient daily serving. A special blend of high-quality bioavailable ingredients and a scoop of AG1 work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And I have lots because I'm paleo and I only eat once a day and uh, I'm menopausal. So I have all sorts of gaps in my diet and this really has helped. It supports energy and focus. It aids with gut health and digestion. It supports a healthy immune system. It effectively replaces multiple products and pills with one healthy, delicious drink. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free. It has less than one gram of sugar. It's got no GMOs. And no chemicals or artificial anything. And while keeping it tasting great, it's amazing. My favorite thing about it is that as the research changes, so does AG1. Most nutritional products that come onto the market, they never evolve. They d- just ignore evolving science. But not Athletic Greens. They continue to obsessively improve AG1 based on the latest research, uh, producing 53 improvements over the last decade and counting. I highly recommend you give it a try. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D, which is so important when we're staying indoors in the wintertime. And you'll get five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. And aside from the good news that my house is under construction, and you can probably hear it in the background. <laughs> Sorry about that. I mean, who doesn't love a good jackhammer during a podcast? Perils of... Hey! Uh, perils of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> perils of working from home. Um, not a good jackhammer during a podcast, but, you know, yes, a good jackhammer during a podcast. If you have any good news, confessions, corrections, idioms, uh, find the cat, happy places, what the mutt, limericks, shit kids say... Any Halloween photos, Thanksgiving photos, want to tell us what you're thankful for, want to give us corrections, like I know somebody's going to correct me on the way we pronounced Waukesha yesterday. I can just feel it coming. And if not, I'm correcting myself right now. Anything you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And now for the good news. First up from Danielle, pronouns she and her. Just listen to today's episode and you asked for interesting Thanksgiving traditions. How about an interesting Christmas tradition? Of course. My best friend does a Christmas party every year called My Favorite Things. Every guest brings five gifts. The gifts have to be under $10 each and something you really loved that year. Each guest then raffles off what they brought one at a time. Basically, you come in with your five things and leave with five completely different gifts, each gift from a different guest. It's become so popular, we've had to move it out of her house and into an event hall. Wow. Of course, it was canceled last year because of the pandemic, but we're bringing it back this year. Awesome. My pod pet tax, Dixie. She was cold one morning and tucked herself in. Oh, the babe. What a cool idea. It's like the coolest secret Santa ever. I love this. I also love that the next submission is from Cuddly Turtle. Hmm. Pronoun she and her. Good morning, Beans crew. I have three things. Number one, for the Hallelujah earworm, do some math in your head. Make it hard enough to have to think to get the answer. Earworm, gone. Apparently, math gets rid of it. There you go. Number two. It took me way too long to figure out why people call you the Illuminati. A true duh moment for me. <laughs> Number three, please keep the good ideas rolling for Thanksgiving. My wife is a first responder who is working on Turkey Day. 
Thanksgiving has always been her favorite holiday, but since we lost her mom this year uh, and her father several years ago, this one is going to be rough. So I'm planning to take the feast to her and her group. They'll be working hard to keep everyone else safe. Please don't drink and drive. For pet tax, mm-hmm. I've included Willow, being way too happy. Oh, What a pretty dog. Is that a Vishla? Let me know. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Cuddly Turtle. Yes, everyone hear that? Send in what you're thankful for, for tomorrow's beans, so that, you know, we can have all that for Thanksgiving. We're actually going to run that on the Thursday show on Thanksgiving. No, wait. Yeah, on Thanksgiving. Yes. 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 (laughs) Yes, No, wait. Hold on. Yep. Okay. Time travel. Mm, Yes. But you have to send it in today. (laughs) You have to send in your good news today and what you're thankful for. (laughs) So that cuddly turtles, you know, you know what I'm saying. Send it in Wednesday. We'll record it Wednesday. We'll get it out to you Thursday. Next up from Bart's mommy. Bart was my Springer Spaniel. I love that you ask for just about anything to be aired by your listeners. This submission is an old family recipe for Thanksgiving. And I use the term loosely. It's a simple appetizer we can all agree on in these disagreeable times. A Ritz cracker, a smear of cream cheese, some red cocktail sauce, and a piece of shrimp. Size depending on the budget of whoever is contributing the appetizer this year. It's our crowd pleaser. The point is, just get together, people. We may have been raised by wolves, but we don't have to act like it now. Love y'all. And uh, you help keep our world sane. Well, thanks, Bart's mommy. I mean, those are delicious flavors. Mm-hmm. No one can argue that. Okay. True. Amy, pronouns she and her. Hello, my lovely keepers of the beans. Thank you for my daily dose of quality information. Dana asked for weird recipes, and I grew up with one that outsiders think is very strange, and we call it Thanksgiving Jello. Uh-oh. In a box, oh, yep, here we go. It's a box of lime jello and a box of lemon jello prepared according to the package directions. When it starts to set, stir an apple. Red Delicious is the OG, but I prefer Honeycrisp. Chopped celery, one or two ribs, crushed pineapple, one small can or half a large one drained, and chopped pecans. It originally was walnuts, but I prefer pecans. My mom always said that she would give me recipes, but she knew I wouldn't follow them. I am known for my substitutions. My mom had valve replacement surgery in 2015, right before Thanksgiving, and it went very wrong. The next seven months of her life were not good. I'm so thankful that she passed this recipe on to me and that I can continue our weird tradition. I wish peace to all over this holiday season, regardless of how you celebrate. Attached is Cooper, a dog, and Heath, a chopper. 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 Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Attached is Chopper, the dog, and Heath, the cat. They're friends, the recipe, and my happy place. Living in the middle of nowhere has advantages. Okay, but what's this called? Did she say? It is... um, I think it's just a Jello recipe. I don't know if it has a name. It's called Thanksgiving Jello. We call it Thanksgiving okay. Jello because that's when we eat. and the recipe is here. Oh yeah, we'll put it in the comments then. Oh, that's beautiful, beautiful photo. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Next up from news listener in Oak Cliff, a beautiful suburb of Dallas, Texas. I am so familiar with Oak Cliff because of Edie Burkell and the New Bohemians. Mm. I'm not kidding. Google her song, Oak Cliff, sitting on a front porch in Oak Cliff with my bra. It's absolutely wonderful song. So DG wanted Thanksgiving traditions. This one isn't mine, but for as long as I can remember, Susan Stamberg would talk about this hideous monstrosity on NPR every Thanksgiving. <laughs> is that turkey, uh, turkey confidential? Uh, looking for the typed up recipe, I see that it is, in fact, longer than I can remember since it dates back to the genesis of NPR, which predates me by a couple of years. Happy Thanksgiving and happy 50th birthday to a calm voice of informed, curious, and interesting news. I am thankful for a news outlet like NPR, MSW, Daily Beans, and The Times. They make me and they include AG, DG, and Amy and the rest. (laughs) All right. Mama Stamberg's Cranberry Relish. Two cups of raw cranberries, washed. A small onion, half a cup of sugar, half a cup of sour cream, and two tablespoons of horseradish. Uh, okay. Grind the cranberries and onion together. I use the old-fashioned meat grinder, but you can use a processor. Just keep the pieces chunky. Add everything else. Mix in a container and freeze. On Thanksgiving morning, move the relish from the freezer to the refrigerator compartment to thaw. It will be thick, creamy, chunky, and shocking pink. Makes one and a half pints. I feel like I've seen this. I feel like I've seen it. I don't know if I've actually put it in my mouth. This doesn't sound awful to me. So I know that for some people, they're like, what? 
My mother would love this recipe because she, she she loves horseradish and anything. I think it would be delicious, like on top of some fish, like maybe a salmon or something, sort of. Or maybe a Ritz cracker and a shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> don't ruin it, Dana. Don't ruin it. Okay, thank you so much for that one. This is from Patrick, pronouns he and him. I bring an offering of good news and picks to appease the, legumin- the leguminous tr- trinity. That's Ooh. hysterical. Ooh. First, the good news. I started dating an absolutely wonderful woman a few months ago. She's everything I could have hoped to find in a potential partner. She's got a a rapier wit, cleverness to spare, and compassion, empathy, and kindness to spare. We make each other laugh constantly, and we both would much rather stay at home than go out. Her kids are pretty neat. My mom loves her, and my brother and his wife think she's pretty cool, too. She loves my family as well. Finally, we're moving in together. I just got a key to her place. And we're working on integrating what little of my possessions I can't part with into her home. I've been practically living at her place anyway, but it meant so much to both of us when we went and got my key cut today. Mm-hmm. Attaches a picture of me in my happy place, as well as pictures of two of my cats, Eris, the little black cat, and Miss Cleo. Oh, mm. congratulations to you Cleo both. Eris. And look, lovely. You both look very happy. Very cool patterns on those pillows, by the way. Just saying, they look a little mid-mod to me, and I appreciate that. <laughs> me too. In a world of 80s lacquer and brass, may you always be mid-mod. There you go. What a great group of submissions. Thank you so much. Everyone send in what you're thankful for tomorrow, today, right now. Get <laughs> Do on it. the thing. Get on the thing. Get on the computer. Go to dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Send in what you're thankful for, and we'll read them all for the Thanksgiving show, which will air on Thursday. We are all going to be taking the day off Thursday, but you will get an episode of Daily Beans on Friday. I've been working extra hard in the last couple of weeks here to put together a show for you on Friday for Friday that we don't have to, but we don't have to work on Thursday. We get Thursday off so we can spend it with our families and friends and whatever we decide to do on Thanksgiving. Dana. Yes. Any final thoughts? I know I'm saving him for tomorrow. (laughs) As you all are my witness, on November 24th, Dana Goldberg will have final thoughts for your Thanksgiving show on November 25th. Everyone stay tuned to find out if Dana Goldberg will have final thoughts (laughs) (laughs) on Wednesday, November 24th for the 25th in the year of our Lord 2021. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. (laughs) That was the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.